Where does your mind go to when you're asked, what do you think about Jesus? You might say, that depends. Like, do I think he actually existed? Or my thoughts on what the Bible says about him? And if we're talking about the Bible, well, I don't know. The Bible is super old and probably not relevant for today, right? I mean, it was written by a bunch of old dudes that could possibly just have had too much wine on occasion. That makes sense, because it's full of contradictions and crazy stories. Nobody can survive three days inside a fish. Plus, the Bible is full of all these rules, right? Like, how many good things do you have to do to go to heaven? I'm pretty sure I'm good. It's just hard for me to look at the Bible logically and take it at its word. I don't know. I'm not really sure what I think about all that. The whole idea of an afterlife kind of seems like a way to feel good about people dying, instead of just accepting that when you die, that's it. If that helps you get through life better, then great. But I don't think I really need that. So, what do you think about Jesus? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? It is so good to worship with you on Easter. If you're a guest, we especially are just so glad you're here. Hope you're having a great time experiencing God's presence. That would be the first and most important thing for us. I want to highlight the announcement you just saw. If you don't have a church you regularly attend, we're going to do just a six-week series starting next week about the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else. And I, I guess that makes it seem how important it is. We want to invite you to come back and join us for that. For those of you that Grace Life is your church, then on the way in, you were handed one of those cards about this series that we're getting ready to do. So take it and invite a friend, bring a friend with you for the next six weeks as well. Again, if Jesus talked about it this much, it's got to be good for us. And so, you know, but I can't resist the opportunity to ask this question. How many of you are glad for our last Easter in this building? Come on, right? Yeah? Woo! Man, I'm so excited every time I go over to that building and just see what God has done already. And I, I can't wait to see what the next 12 months holds for Grace Life Church as we go over there and have our first Easter there, first Christmas. But first, a lot of things. It's just going to be exciting. So anyway, so I, I guess you're all aware it's April Fool's Day, right? Okay, so secretly one of your chairs is going to explode in just a moment. And I'm just kidding, but one of the staff members did recommend we put a whoopee cushion on one of your chairs. We didn't, because, I mean, it would have been a little obvious. It'd be hard to trick you guys with that. Who's been tricked already today? Come on, raise your hand if you've already had a prank played on you. Well, Megan, I'm sorry for you, <laughs> but God bless the rest of you that you haven't, uh, you know, tortured your family members. Who's actually glad that April Fool's Day falls on a Sunday? Because, you know, people in church are much more kind than people in school, right? Come on, this is better. Or who works with one of those people? You're glad you're not at work, right? I'm one of those people, just so you know. I'm one of those people. I love to play pranks on people. I hate to have pranks played on me. But if you get into it with me, it's, gonna, it's just going to go down. I'm just going to tell you. you. We've had people in the past that have thought they could get into this one-up thing, and, and they eventually surrendered because you, you never win the one-up thing with me. When I went to summer camp, we had a chaplain who was, uh, I was like 11 or 12, I was a Boy Scout, and I guess he thought the way to be cool as a chaplain with 11 and 12-year-old boys is to make a lot of jokes. And so the day that I met him, I figured out he was the prankster, 
but I'm the prankster, so it was my week's goal to up him on everything he did. So we went back and forth on all these little tricks for a while and all these little jokes, and then I finally just decided to really get him. We, we had this big event where everybody was dressed up in their, their A-class uniforms. Uh, any Boy Scouts know what I'm talking about? You know, come on, anybody? There you go, a couple of you in the room, and, and you got like the little reds, everything. Yeah, he was just all dressed up, and, and so we told him, I mean, we've got this scout that's really upset. He's, he's homesick, and he, he just won't stop crying, and, and he just really needs somebody to talk to. Now, the, the tents we had were kind of like old army tents or something. You didn't bring your own and set it up. It had like a wood platform and these big flaps and everything, and so every tent had a, a bucket of water on every corner. It was called fire safety. You had to make sure your bucket was filled with water all the time. So I got this idea that we would get the buckets of water from as many tents as we could and see how many guys we could fit into one tent. And we turned the light on, because this was at night, and, and had one of the scouts act like he was upset and make these moaning, crying sounds. And Boy Scouts are not very good at acting, by the way, so I don't know how he didn't get uh, tipped off to it as he's walking up and hearing this half-baked cry sort of thing. But as he opened the flap, we drenched him in water in his A uniform that he had for the whole week and couldn't wear it anymore. And, and he didn't mess with me anymore. So uh, that's just a warning to all of you that want to get into one of these pranks. We used to have a staff member's wife who tried to play pranks on me. She tried to one-up me one time. Did y'all catch the part about used to have staff member? <laughs> I'm just kidding. God called them to be missionaries. I didn't really do anything, but used to is still true nonetheless. Okay, so hey, listen, here's the real question we should ask today, April Fool's Day, right? Good time for us to ask this. What if we're fooled about something that actually matters? You know, there are some important things, like that video we just saw, all those different things. We can believe so many different things about so many different things, and some of them are really important. Now, the good news about April Fool's pranks is most of them don't matter. I mean, if you actually do sit on a whoopee cushion, it takes like all of two seconds for it to be over, right? You know, I mean, it's not a big deal, unless you're in middle school where some moron is still going to be pointing at you at lunchtime, right? Come on, anybody in middle school in here, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? I mean, otherwise, it's, it's, it's over, and it doesn't matter. But unfortunately, there are things that we can be fooled about, and, and it goes on. And these things really do matter, because see, here's the truth. God has an enemy. And so any person who says they're going to follow God with their life, they're going to honor God, then they end up with an enemy too. And this enemy, thousands of years ago, decided his purpose was to fool humanity about some really important things. And so that's what we want to look at today is, are there some things that we could potentially be fooled about that uh, are going to matter at some point? And so I want, I want to just show you two things before we get into the, the ideas of what the enemy would like to fool us about. Uh, two things that Jesus said, really important things, because one of them was about himself, but one of them was about that enemy. And so he had some religious leaders who were challenging him and asking some questions. You know, you would think if you're the son of God who came to earth, you'd have a safe place among those who already say they worship you, right? It turns out that was the least safe place for Jesus. They, they, they always asked him questions, trying to get him into trouble, and they were trying to box him into a corner and trick him into something that he said. And, and so they were debating with him, and, and Jesus told them, first of all, something really important about Satan. Here's what he said. The devil does not stand in the truth. You know Why? Because there's no truth in him. None. He doesn't have the capacity to speak anything that is true. When he lies, he simply speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar. And because he's a liar, he's the father of lies. He's a liar. He hates us. The good news is most people who play April Fool's pranks on you are your friends. They're just getting a good little laugh out of it. 
But imagine if somebody was going to do something to try and trick you and they actually hated you. He's a liar who hates us. We can't trust anything that he says. We can't trust anything that he actually wants us to believe. Anything he says, this is what I want you to believe. It is not trustworthy. But the second thing that Jesus said in the exact same conversation was something about himself. And it's the exact opposite of what he said about Satan. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. If you abide in my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why? Because Jesus speaks truth. Everything he says, we can actually trust. Even 2,000 years later, I mean, let's be honest, there are lots of people who don't like church. They don't want to go to church. There are people who don't like God. They don't want to talk about God. But they think Jesus was a good guy. They think the things that he taught and said were true and good. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And most people would still agree with that today. But just like when pranksters are out to fool people, Satan is always out to fool humanity. He has not given up on what he thinks is his primary mission. And so what I want us to do today is look at three things more than anything else that he wants to fool us about. And so that each one of us can look and ask, am, am I being fooled in this area? Or is this something that I know the truth in? The first one that he wants to fool us about is who God is. You see, Satan would actually love for us to believe things like God is a rule-enforcing angry God. Come on, anybody ever heard that? God's a rule-enforcing angry God. He just wants you to follow all these perfect little rules, and he sits in heaven, and he waits on you to get something wrong so he can hit you with a lightning bolt. I mean, come on, people believe this. Many of us believe this. We can laugh, but some of us believe this. I grew up going to church, and I believed it. It's just somehow what I thought was true. You hear these stories all the time of, of God judging sin and, and things that would happen to people who wouldn't obey God. So you get the idea that God is sitting in heaven and he's just waiting. And I talk to people all the time, kind of goes with a, being a pastor. You get into conversations with people and, and they're talking about what's going on in their life. And then I'll, I'll ask a simple question. Like, so, you know, why, why don't you commit all the way to following God? Why don't you take God more seriously? And they will say, usually this kind of answer. Well, you know, that's just too many rules to follow. There are just too many of us that actually believe that's what this is all about, that God's got a set of rules. It's all about following rules. And they'll say, Pastor, I have to tell you the truth. If following all those rules to keep an angry God happy with me, is, I just don't want to do that. Well, it turns out he's not a rule-enforcing angry God. He's actually a forgiving, loving God, the exact opposite of what Satan says about him. See, the Bible says this, but God, those are two of the best words in all the Bible. You all know that? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were breaking every rule that God would ever want us to follow, he struck us with lightning. No, it says Christ died for us. But God says one thing about the enemy, but God is another. But God forgives us for the rules we break. It doesn't sound like an angry rule enforcing God. But God sent Jesus to die because we couldn't follow the rules, right? Out of his love for us. I'm going to tell you the truth. I have four kids. I do not understand why that elicits laughter at every service. I've said this. What am I saying about my kids in my sermons that make you guys laugh when I remember? I have four kids, and here's the deal. If any one of you gets yourselves into some predicament that's incredibly bad and incredibly dangerous, and you want me to offer up my child to get you out of that, you're out of luck. 
I actually do love my kids. You're on your own. It does not come with the job description of pastor that I've got to give one of my kids for one of your stupidity. But it comes with God's. Isn't that amazing? For our mistakes, God loves us so much that he gave his son. That doesn't sound like a rule-enforcing angry God to me. That sounds like a loving God. You know, at this point, I know some of you in the room would say, oh, well, thanks, Jimmy, you know, that's good. I'm sure somebody here needs to hear that. But, you know, I made Jesus my king a long time ago. I know that he forgave me. I know, you know, that, that he's not all about the rules. I, I understand forgiveness. I, I'm good. But, you know, even for people who worship Jesus as their king, for people who would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, we still struggle with who God is. I mean, I'm a pastor. I preach for a living. And every day I wake up and struggle to remind myself God is good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I wake up and the first thought is what's wrong with life. The first thought is, oh, I'm still praying over this thing. God won't answer this prayer. You know, it is so easy for us to remember the one prayer that we keep praying that God hasn't answered yet and to forget the thousands of prayers he's answered. And we forget the goodness of God in our own lives. And we don't recount the simple things. We've got so many bad things that we're, oh, I got to do this. It's another week at work and a job I hate and bills to pay. And, you know, I'm asking God to do this. He's not doing it. And we just get so caught up in a few little things that we don't see the goodness of God. I mean, look, look. I mean, look at the goodness of God. I had bacon and eggs this morning. Bacon. God bless us. Y'all know what I'm saying. You know, prior to Jesus, we couldn't eat bacon. That's what we, that should be an Easter-themed service one year. We should have a bacon buffet in the lobby at the new building and say, Happy Easter, everybody. No, but it, it, seriously, in the small, I mean, think about it. How often do you just look at the fact that you can get out of bed and if you want bacon and eggs, you can cook bacon and eggs because you have a job, you have some money, you have a kitchen, and you say, I'm eating bacon and eggs. God is good. In the smallest things, I woke up, and because this is like some crazy South Carolina weather, it's cold in my house. And so I could, I could do this incredibly difficult thing of walk over and push a button on the wall, and suddenly it was hot in my house. God is good in the smallest things. I have a house. I don't live under a bridge. I've got electricity. I've got a job that pays the electrical. I mean, the smallest things. Do we spend any time telling the enemy how good our God is? You may think it's funny to talk about bacon and eggs, but whatever your small thing is, you need to thank God for some little things. You know what? Thank God for some big things, too. You know, I don't know how many of you know the story. My wife spent about four years of her life until just recently, always wearing sunglasses, always on some painkillers because she had a problem with her spine and, and, and nobody understood what was going on. Nobody could fix it. And so she just thought she was going to live the rest of her life in chronic debilitating pain. And one Sunday I come in the church and, and there's a guy that had just started coming to Grace Life. Turns out that he was a PA in a brain, a brain and spine specialist institute. And, and he walked up to me, or I, actually I walked up to him. He was standing right back there and, and he said that he was waiting on his wife. But I heard him say, how is your wife? Come on, who loves when the Holy Spirit twists words in the air? And, and so he, he 
just went with it, and, and so I answered how my wife was, which was a strange conversation for somebody who was just waiting on his, right? And, and so he said, well, hey, why don't you come in for an appointment? We did. Some of you have already heard the story. He, he looked at her x-ray and, and, and said, this is an easy outpatient procedure, and you'll get your life back. And she did. And that's a big thing, a big thing. And it's amazing that we can say God is good. So I don't know if you're just thanking God for bacon and eggs or healing for something that you were living with for years, but we need to know the truth about who our God is. We need to stand in that truth every day. The second thing the enemy wants to fool us about is who we are. (laughs) If he can't take us down with who God is, he's going to take us down with who we are. You see, Satan would love for us to believe that we're just merely biological beings. We're just... We're just all a bunch of cells and bones and all that sort of stuff put together. And as a result of that, our existence is temporary. And, well, that means it's relatively meaningless. Not much is going to last. But God, I like those words again, but God says otherwise. He says we are God's handiwork. That means we're made by him, specifically. That means that he made Kit to be Kit. He he doesn't have some mass-produced assembly line you know, guys coming out over here and girls coming out over here. No, it's not working that way. He, he takes the time to say, who do I want Kent to be? Who do I want Lane to be? Who do I want Anna Carroll to be? Who do I want Daniel to be? Who do I want Ramona to be? I mean, that's what he does. He's making every individual, we are his handiwork, and didn't catch this part, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do, we're created by God not just to exist. We're created by God to do something that matters. And the enemy wants you to wake up on Monday and go, oh, another day. God wants you to wake up and say, yes, another day to change the world in Jesus Christ. That is it. And it's just one of the biggest lies. Let me just tell you, if we could ever figure out who God made us to be, the enemy would run and hide. I think one of the things that gives him so much power on the earth is the number of people that call Jesus their king but don't know who they are. We know who Jesus is, but we don't know who they are, who we are. I want you to just imagine this since we're near Fort Jackson. It's a good military kind of way of thinking. But I want you to imagine that we decide that, that, that we're going to deploy 10,000 soldiers to deal with some problem somewhere, a problem of evil. It's a small force. It's not many people. And we're, we're just going to send so many. We're going to overwhelm. We're going to do this thing. But then about 9,900 of those soldiers sit down in the field and, and just to listen to the general speak. They just want to hear his pep talk about what we're going to do when we go into battle and how we're going to win the battle because there's so many more of us and we've got this thing. And, and, and so you end up with, with one general and a couple of uh, people, maybe about 100 of them, that are helping make sure those 9,900 are comfortable as they're sitting on the ground. And are we going to defeat that force over there? No. And sadly enough, that's what the American church is like because the enemy has fooled us into thinking, God can't use you. He can't use you. I mean, what could he do through you? You're just a high school teacher. You're just a drill sergeant. You're just a police officer. What is he going to do with that? He's going to change the world with that. That's what he's going to do. He's going to have a teacher who creates an atmosphere where Jesus reigns in that classroom. He's going to create a police officer that stands for justice. And he's going to have a drill sergeant who's actually interested in not just you know, uh, raising up a soldier, but raising up a whole being, a whole person, and cares about more than just what they can do with a gun, but what they can do with a gun and what they can do with their soul. I mean, that's what God would do with you. See, God would say, yeah, I know what you did last night, and I still can use you. The enemy says, no, 
you should be afraid of who you are. You should be ashamed of who you are. You look in the mirror and you know there's no good there. And God says, look in the mirror. There's good there. There is good there. See, the enemy wants to fool us about who we are. We are God's most prized creation. We're his unique creation, made in his image. The imprint of God is in us. And you know how you know the imprint of God is in you? Read the news. Read the news and see what it does to you. You read some article about how some person was unjustly treated and it makes you angry. And you say that shouldn't be that way because the imprint of a perfectly just God is on you. You read some article about some evil governmental force treating its people wrongly and it makes you angry because the imprint of a God who hates evil is on you. You see, the enemy would hate for us to know who we are. We have a purpose. We are God's prized creation. The third thing that the enemy would love to fool us about more than just April Fool's Day is our need for Jesus. He'd love to fool us about our need for Jesus. His his lie is incredibly simple. It goes like this. (laughs) You don't need Jesus. That wasn't even complicated at all, was it? That's what he loves to say. You don't need Jesus. And depending upon where you are, your journey in life is how you interpret that. You see, for some of us, we'll get the idea, you don't need Jesus because, you know, that whole religion thing isn't that important. Not too worried about that stuff. That's just not important to me. We'd say, we don't need Jesus. Some of us would say other things like, well, heaven and hell aren't really all that real, so I don't need Jesus to save me from one or get me to the other. Well, you know, if you try hard enough, you can be good enough. I don't need Jesus. Well, I, I don't need Jesus because if I say I need Jesus, I'm going to have to give up too much fun stuff to do it his way. So I don't need Jesus. I mean, we, we say all kinds of things. But then there are those of us who say, but Jimmy, I know that I need Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago. You know, what's crazy is that we get confused about our need for Jesus. We actually say, thank you, Jesus, and then turn right around and try really hard to be good enough that we don't need Jesus anymore. It's kind of the Christian curse. It's a nickname, but it kind of works, doesn't it? I mean, it's what we do. We try to prove that's who we are. But Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he's not using extra words. All three of those matter. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that's what he's... He is the only way to the Father. No other religion would work. No other belief would work. And again, we would say, well, hey, it's the Bible Belt. I'm in a Christian church. It's Easter. So chances are everybody here is saying, you know, I'm Jesus only, man. What are you talking about? But again, we would say, no, I'm going to get to the Father through my own goodness. He's the source of life. And we know that that means eternal life. Jesus even said, It would be better for you to enter life, meaning when we die here and start there. So, yeah, but what happens sometimes is we think, well, we can put that off. Right? We can put that off because statistically, chances are I'm going to make it a little bit later in life. And I'm not really ready to surrender to Jesus yet. Some of you are like me. I grew up going to church many times a week. I've told you that before if you've you've been around Grace Life. But I don't know if I've ever told you this. I had a very clear, distinct thought about when I would surrender to Jesus. And that was when I was 25. Don't ask why, it just sounded good. But I was a teenager. 
And when I was a teenager, it began to hit me. The pastor would talk about giving your life to Jesus. And that's when I began to actually, you know, you're young enough, you just kind of ignore what the pastor says because, you know, you're just coloring on something anyway. But eventually you get old enough and you start hearing and you start thinking. And I remember as a teenager thinking, so I I need to eventually deal with this Jesus thing. And I thought to myself, well, it needs to be a special moment. Because, see, my dad was Presbyterian and my mom was Baptist, so we'd go to different kinds of churches. Like Sunday morning went to my dad's church and Sunday night went to my mom's church. And so I was thinking, well, you know, if I go to my dad's church, you just kind of like raise a little hand. That's not going to be all that special. I want to make my mom happy. I mean, my mom's a good woman. Come on, anybody here, you know, it's not Mother's Day, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you got a good mom. And I want to impress my mom, so I need to walk down the aisle like they do at her church need to go down to the front. I need to surrender to Jesus. I want to make sure my mom is there. It's going to be a very special moment. I'm planning this thing out. But, you know, I want to be in a mature position with my mom because, you know, if you're a teenager, you don't want your mom coming into your room and harassing you about your new faith kind of thing. So you want to wait till you can go to your own house. You want to get through high school and you want to get through college, you know. And so for some reason, 25 sounded really good. Here's the problem. This whole idea about Jesus being the source of life, it's not just eternal life. It is not just about hoping you live to 25 and then you make Jesus your king. It's about now. You see, Jesus changes our life. He changes the quality of life. Yes, I'm going to heaven because of Jesus, but my life is different now. You see, I used to wake up and feel really guilty and really dirty for the thoughts I had or the things that I'd done. And now I wake up knowing all of that was washed away on the cross. And I wake up and I can, I can smile. I can actually wake up and say, good morning, God. And I don't feel like I have to go, good morning, God. I don't, I don't feel ashamed because of who Jesus is. Jesus brings peace into my life at times when there is no reason for peace because everything around me is, is falling apart. You see, it's not just about future So for those of you that are saying, yeah, I'm not really worried about Jesus right now. I'll deal with that later. I'm pretty young. I think I'll live. You you might make it to later and make Jesus your king for eternity, but I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the way you want to wake up and not have guilt and shame and the way you want to feel forgiveness because you're forgiven and the way you want to be able to forgive because you're actually in a family. And he's the truth. He's the way, he's the truth, and the life. He's the truth. Now look, the best way to not be fooled on April Fool's Day is to know the truth. I mean, don't you wish you could go back to seventh grade, you walk in the classroom, and somebody says, hey, excuse me, I want you to know the truth. When you sit on your chair, there's a whoopee cushion there. Wouldn't that have been nice? You wouldn't have sat down, would you, if you had just known the truth? This is the truth. You remember when Jesus said, you'll know my words. My words are truth that will set you free. He goes as far as to say, I am the truth. The best way not to be fooled is to simply know the truth. And that's what Jesus is all about. Now, look, here's my concern for us today. It was something that Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church. This was just a couple of decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So they had only been doing Easter for a, a little while now, kind of like we are and and, and it was confusing. It was still kind of difficult. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And are we getting it all right? And, and they weren't getting it all right, to be honest. The Corinthian church was a mess. They were one of the worst churches in all of history. And so they got some letters written to them that said, hey, you guys kind of need to figure some things out. And this is one of the things that Paul wrote to them. 
He said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for you. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will also be led astray. If you're not familiar with the story, you see, when God began with creation, he started with two. He started with Adam and with Eve. And there was this great world that he'd created for them. And he had said, basically, you can do anything you want. You got the run of the land. I mean, hey, I created this place for you. I mean, can y'all imagine a perfect God in heaven creating a perfect world for you? You know, it didn't have to be childproof. There weren't many sharp objects you could get yourself in trouble in, right? You know, not many of us get the privilege of living in a really nice custom-built house. But this was better than that. God created a world, and he put these two people in it. And only so that they would need to recognize he's God and they're not. He said, I got one thing for you. Just one thing I want you to obey so that you'll remember I'm God and you're not. That was it. The enemy would love us to believe other stuff about that story. And that's really all there is to it. God was making sure he knew who was who. I want you to know I'm God, you're not. I got one thing. I don't know about you, but I, I would like to slap out of an Eve. Life's a little bit more complicated now. I wish I only had to wake up every day and knowing if I don't touch one thing, if I don't eat of one tree, my life is perfect. I mean, many of us are allergic to stuff anyway. We already skip stuff. Come on, gluten-free people. It's like, you know what I'm talking about? Just call it the gluten tree and you'd be all happy. But unfortunately, Satan was hanging out the tree and Eve saw it and, and he began to fool her. He began to say some things like, well, you know, actually God doesn't want your best. Actually, God's just trying to keep you down from your best. That's why he told you not to do this. And, and he just kind of led her astray. And eventually she took the fruit and she fed it to Adam. And they both took part in this. And, and then God showed up to say, what happened? And you see, here's where the problem. Her answer was, the serpent fooled me. And although that's true, that was not a good defense. You see, she had had God tell her the truth. God himself. He, everything. They would walk in the garden in the cool of the day and have a conversation like you and I could walk down this aisle and talk right now and shake hands. They had a relationship with God that when she said, well, the serpent fooled me, I took his words over yours. It was no defense. And she lost everything. She lost the ability to walk in the garden with God. She lost that perfect world that God had created for her. She lost everything. And this is even more dangerous for you and me. And you know why? Because you're here today. Sorry to tell you, but it's kind of a self-indictment. What are we here to do today? But to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. To celebrate the one who died for our sins and rose again. And if we surrender our lives to him, we have all truth. And my concern for you, just as Paul says, my concern for you, my concern for us today. There's a reality that is, is we can't avoid because no human has ever lived forever. So we cannot avoid the reality. Every one of us at some point will stand in front of God. And my concern for you when God says, well, what about that? What about that? Why didn't you embrace my son? Why, why didn't you understand who I was? Why, why did you waste your life on those thoughts you were nobody? 
And my concern for you is the only thing you're going to be able to say to God is, I was fooled. I'm sorry. I, there were a few times I went to church and I heard that stuff, but the truth is at the end of the day, I was just fooled. It sounded good what was being said to me. And the problem is, it will be no better defense for you and me than it was for Eve. And we will lose everything. For all of eternity. That is not the answer I want for you today. We had a lady. I got to share the story with you. This is awesome. We had a lady come last service. 23 days sober of meth and heroin. She came to the Easter egg hunt yesterday and got invited to church, so she figured it'd be a good thing to try on day 23. She came. And she heard what we're talking about. And she recognized that she didn't want to stand before God and say, I was fooled. And she made Jesus her king. How awesome is that? Come on, that is worth celebrating. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. No offense to you guys, but I, when I heard that story, I said, we're done. We can go home. We, we've done enough. I mean, come on. That, that's a, that's, I got out of bed, but I don't need to do anything else today. That's, that's pretty awesome. Please, please, don't let you, don't let yourself be the one. The only thing you've got to say in your defense is, sorry, God, I was fooled. So what I'd like to do now, just like we did last service for that lady, I'd like to give you an opportunity to, well, call the devil out on what he's trying to fool you about. Especially those of you that have never surrendered to Jesus because, well, he's fooled you about your need for Jesus. You know, for every one of us in the room, you guys do understand nobody's off the hook. I mean, every one of us in here, we've been fooled about who we are. We've been fooled about who God is. We've been fooled about our need for Jesus, whichever it is. Every one of us, there's something that we need to say, uh-uh, devil, you're not doing that anymore. I'm going to believe the truth about who God made me. I'm going to believe the truth about who he is. And for those of you that have never declared to believe the truth about your need for Jesus, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to give the devil any other opportunity to talk you out of it. So I'm not going to do what I would have grown up with. I'm not going to ask you to come down the aisle and stand down front. I'm not going to give the enemy anything to whisper into your ear. No, no, no. People will laugh at you. People will be embarrassed. You, you don't want to be the only one standing down. I'm not going to give you that chance. I'm not going to give him that chance. We're just going to pray right where we're seated. Nobody but you and God will know. Because you know what? <laughs> Those are the only two people that matter. You and God. Would you all join me right where you're seated? Right. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you voluntarily died on a cross for me. I thank you for the love, the mercy, and the forgiveness that you have for me. And now, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose.
Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.